0: To podcast number three of the Bodder Meinhof podcast, the only podcast devoted to yet unaffiliated with the Bodder Meinhof group. I am your host Richard Huffman, and today we have a really interesting podcast. I spoke with Jessica Yu, who is an Oscar-winning filmmaker who divides her time between interesting, compelling, esoteric. Documentary films and directing mainstream episodic dramas like ER and Grey's Anatomy and The West Wing. Um, a couple of years ago, she directed this fascinating documentary called Protagonist. It is remarkable. It's a wonderful documentary. And one of the people interviewed in this documentary is a former left-wing West German terrorist named Hans-Joachim Klein. Um, and it's, it's just a compelling movie, a compelling interview. Um, in the movie, and I had a great time talking with her. I hope you enjoyed the the interview. Okay, so we are talking with Jessica Yu, who is an Oscar-winning director who directs, um, well, in addition to directing TV, she also has directed some uh, interesting and remarkable documentaries, particularly protagonist which is what i was hoping to talk about today and i was hoping you could i'd like to hear from you how you describe protagonist because i think i've described it to many of my friends and i've always wondered how you would actually describe it
1: you know it is one of the toughest films to describe i remember we had this meeting about how we would talk about it when the when the film was released Mm -hmm. and you know you're supposed to come up with some snappy one-line thing and it just never fit um but the way I describe it is that it's uh a film about four men who seem to have very little in common but who have all lived the kind of uh uh ancient Greek tragedy in modern times. So that's kind of what it's what it's looking at and um I think that still probably doesn't quite sum up what's going on. <laughs> it is
0: a it is a really remarkable movie and it's um and 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 that's pretty much exactly how it is, although I don't know if it quite encapsulates how interesting the movie really, the journey it kind of takes you on, and, I, and that's the problem I've always had when I've described it to folks. Well, specifically your film, it um, dealt with a bank robber, an ex-gay kind of evangelist, a, a martial arts student, and a, a former left-wing German terrorist, which of course is where my interest comes in, which is... Um, Hans uh, Joachim Klein, who um, was a member of the Revolutionary Cells and was a partner with uh, with um, Carlos the Jackal. So how did you come to pick like all of these characters and also um, Hans Klein? Sure. Well,
1: the thing is that uh, as this this film evolved, it was actually presented to me as a kind of a challenge to make a film about Euripides, of all people. Yep. Which, of course, sounds like the worst first date film idea ever. <laughs> make a film about Euripides. Um, but, you know, once uh, I started researching, realized that there was no way to make a film about the life of Euripides. We just don't know enough. But about the themes of Euripides' plays, that was something that really attracted me. Anyway, so I had this idea for... Um, finding people who had kind of lived the echoes of the kinds of tragedies that he wrote about and then uh, I have this idea of trying to find people living today who have experienced that and um, we could talk later about what exactly that that uh, journey is sure but um, I wanted to find four people who it was tough because I needed four individuals who were uh, who had 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 this trajectory in their, their lives and also who were um articulate about their experience, and, um, you know, had, ex- had had this one moment of revelation, sort of like some yeah. a, a sort of classic, you know, thunderbolt from the air. So there were two of, the, two of the men I knew personally, and I was thinking they might work, but what I was really hoping is to get uh, the chemistry of the four stories together. So it was... Um, me, my producers, Elise Perlstein and Susan West, and a couple of other people, we'd meet, you know, and try to get, uh, generate some, uh, searches on our own. You know, of course, a lot of internet searching, a lot of strange cocktail party conversations, you know, <laughs> trying to see if anyone knew of anybody who put this thing. But it was really, it was kind of a needle in a haystack. And actually to get the four that we ended up with, it took about eight months to, to, to decide and, and to contact. And, Um, and find those people, and certainly with Klein, it was very tough, because um, given his circumstances, he had been really living underground for such a long time, and then was incarcerated, and then once out again, I don't think he really uh, necessarily wanted a very public life, so it was very, very cloak and dagger trying to um, track him down, and finally we, were able to locate a number which turned out to be the fax number
0: that was hooked up to the machine in his bathroom <laughs> <laughs> so when you were so his particular story um, was intriguing to you because it's because he did have that moment of revelation you know the thing that I was struck by was the moment of revelation for some on the outside would seem a bigger moment of revelation and for others less stakes but in fact, it kind of to each of these people, it was it seemed equally profound to them.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing is that certainly with find the consequences of his actions were the most drastic out of the four men. But I don't think that these moments were necessarily, uh, as you say, less devastating for you know even for our our young martial arts student. You know, he um, and the moment that we're talking about. Um, I mean, maybe it's good to back up and just talk about what what this journey is that we were looking for the men to have. And, and, and I should mention, by the way, that we didn't start out looking for men. We uh, were looking for men and women, but the men seemed to fit this a little bit better. We were looking for people who had uh, gone on some sort of personal quest, some sort of mission um, for moral or um, logical or even moral um, considerations. And somewhere along the way they became so focused on this mission that they ended up becoming almost the opposite of what they had intended uh, when they set out. And somehow the mission took over and the began to justify the means in a very uncomfortable way. And then the moment we're talking about is kind of that classic talking heads moment, um, you know, this is not my beautiful house, this is not my beautiful wife, where, you know, the person just pops their head uh, up and says, Oh my goodness! What am I doing? You know, this is not what I was what I thought I was doing. Yeah. And they kind of hit the wall with that revelation. So that was certainly what we were uh, looking for and found, for example, in Clyde's story.
0: How did you know, or did you know going in that? Cause you knew two of these folks, but the other two, were you just kind of hoping they were going to be as articulate and as interesting as they were, or or was that just you were kind of keeping your fingers crossed? <laughs>
1: That's a good, good question, because I do feel in this case we were extremely lucky. You know, I always try – the trick was we needed to find people whose um, stories were, um, you know, accessible, but we weren't – I mean, none of these guys – I mean, Klein accepted probably. None of them were were real media figures or anything. Um, So there is definitely some risk-taking there. I, I had really fallen in love with the idea of these four characters, but I definitely thought, you know what? we picked these four guys, chances are one of them's not going to work out, so we better, you know, just sort of keep that in mind. And miraculously, the four that we picked, out of looking at around 200 people, were the who ended up in the film. And so that was unusual and and very nice for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. I you know, I've talked to other former terrorists, and I've talked to, um, and I've read a lot of interviews, and it seems like they fall into two camps. One is ones that are... They, they've all given up on their past, but ones that are still kind of fighting the fight and, and they're justifying their actions. And then there's a few, like him, that have made effectively a complete break. They haven't changed their politics necessarily, but they refuse to rationalize what they did and they want to acknowledge it. And and him in particular in your interview, honestly, it was the most profound thing I'd ever heard any former terrorist say, where he says... Um, where he was making clear I am not a victim I am the perpetrator and he's responsible he didn't shoot those people but he absolutely was responsible and I thought wow I have seen and read and conducted a lot of interviews and I've never heard anybody articulate that before is really actually kind of remarkable in, in the whole of all of these former terrorists so many of them have never been able to reach that point, so I, I found that remarkable. I also found it remarkable that he seemed like a whole person afterwards. You seem to have him and all of the four characters they seemed like whole, significant, decent people after the fact and I think about so many of these other former terrorists that don 't they seem completely mired in forty years ago, and I kind of wish they would have the same revelation this guy would have right. had i 'm so
1: glad you picked out that moment that 's probably my favorite moment in the whole film because that's, um, you know, the, like that, that moment of reckoning, not just it's not just resignation or saying like, I mean, you get people who do something that they regret and who say like, I forgive myself. It's like, what is that, you know? And and when he said that, it was, um, I think it was, it was very cathartic for our audience. It was cathartic for me. I mean, just thinking like, you really can't um, move on until you, uh, are able to accept the consequences of your, your actions. And um, I, I love that he was, you know, getting caught up in what what he did, how it affected him, how it affected his health, and then how, I love how he caught himself and said, no, 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 I have to be clear, you know, I'm not the victim of the perpetrator. That was very meaningful. And that was also part of our search for these, these four individuals, but we needed people who uh, we found plenty of examples of people who seemed to have a moment of reckoning, and then they would become zealous for something else. Yeah. And I think what we were looking for is people who had realized that um, a full life is going to be filled with doubt, and it's going to be filled with nuance and things that aren't answered even by your, you know, most single-minded effort. And um, it's not a film that's trying to, uh, you know, to push for a life of. Um, mediocrity of, of not trying for things. I think it's more about the fact that, um, you know, doubt is just a part of the human condition that we probably can't overcome.
0: Yeah. You know, and, I, 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 and I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I was really struck by how much I liked these four people. And it seemed to me <laughs> I, I liked them entirely because of, not because of the transformation, but because of the kind of people they, were after that transformation. I mean, it, it really struck me how each one of those people—you think, man, this—I'd love to hear this guy keep talking and and <laughs> like go to a bar. And I thought it was because of that moment of truth, what it, how it impacted them. Not that, not that they had an interesting story. I mean, it really, it really was a, a group of four people that seemed perfectly suited for your movie. Um
1: great. You know, it's kind of funny afterwards. Unfortunately, you know, Klein can't really travel or anything, but the other three men um, got together at, uh, the, at Sundance, and it was so funny because they just fell in like a group of old friends, and they were joking that they should have, like, uh, you know, tour jackets printed up. I mean, it was <laughs> funny to think. They, they, I think it wasn't just understanding each other, but also feeling like, okay, so I wasn't alone and going on this sort of crazy uh, crazy journey that... Uh, um well, I had to, you know, I, I was I was very admiring of these guys
0: also being able to um, pick up the pieces. Yeah, so so much about modern life, not Euripidean life, is about psychoanalysts, about a whole bunch of other things to help people make an understanding or a break from the past. These guys didn't seem to have any of that. They just kind of did it on their own, and all, I mean, it didn't seem like a repudiation of uh, of modern. Ways, But I, it was, I was struck by that it was just this clear internal thought process, and it, almost like they didn't even understand it. They just kind of recognized that. Um, so in that sense, it seemed interesting that it was very classic in that in that structure, because, I mean, obviously there wasn't any psychoanalyst 3,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago.
1: That's funny that you say that, because Euripides was called the first world's first psychologist. Really? Because he was looking at the way that... Um, you know why? What motivated people? Why did they get caught up in the things that they did? But I think you're right with these guys. Um, I think what was interesting is that it was that moment of self-recognition. The other thing that was really interesting that Klein said um, that was kind of uh, just touched on in the film was this idea that, you know, I was curious with these guys. If someone had sat them down and said, look, you know, if they could have gone back, if they could go back into time now and talk to their younger selves and say, look, you know, you idiot, look what you're doing. Would they have? Could anyone have uh, told yeah. them? Would they have been able to avoid this, this fate? And Klein said, "No. You know, I was—I was like you said in the film. He said I was deaf and blind. No one could tell me anything.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, you know, that's that's a bit haunting because I—I I, I think that was pretty honest of him.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about practicalities. You uh, filmed Klein at his home in Europe, and and um, so how easy was it? You, you said you found you found a number and it was a fax machine. Getting there, interviewing him, it sounds like you, it was like basically a big road trip for you. Was that a challenge for you, or was it interesting, or how did that work out?
1: Okay, well this is crazy. Well, for so one thing, is that um, actually I was kind of heartened later um, realizing that the reason why it was so hard to get to Klein is that he does have a protective group of contacts and colleagues and friends who um, are rightfully concerned about um, you know his his private life. Yep. and his security. Um, so that's why it was hard to get to him. Uh, the actual filming was very, very tricky, not in the least part, because my uh, passport um, had some problems with it. it. You know, I didn't realize I needed six months of validity. I only had a couple months. It was a long, long story, Very, probably very boring at the time. It was very, very stressful. Um, in the end, a passport machine broke down so they could not print me a new passport. Oh so I ended God. up having to send one of my producers, um, and she ended up, Susan West, she was uh, helping coordinate there, and in any case, it was also tricky, because Klein is in uh, France, you know, he's in a French-speaking yep. country, and yep. his, his, the you know, language he's most comfortable with is German, so we have a French crew in France, German-speaking uh, subject, and so we actually have two translators, and I'm on the phone, oh, staying up God. all night, you know, uh, but... But it actually worked quite well. We had one translator who was talking to me over the phone so that I could uh, get simultaneous translation of his answers. And uh, I was just sorry not to be able to actually physically be there. But it was quite an extensive interview. And, um, (laughs) you know, one of those things where uh, you just wish you could go out and, you know, drink some wine together afterwards.
0: Yeah. Now, what's your thoughts about him personally? Because he has probably the... One of the most interesting backgrounds of these left wing German terrorists in that he is um, half jewish and and his mother was essentially effectively a victim of the holocaust um, because yeah. of how it tormented her and that's actually kind of rare and one of the one of the, the one of the things that, that that is seem that I find amazing is rarely talked about when people are studying the Bader meinoff group and these left wing um, Germans terrorists is that is how much of an anti-semitic bent seems to be not necessarily purposely but you know it's evident throughout the attacks the the way people were picking on this and he's the guy he's the one guy that that more than anybody else could have and eventually did recognize this so he for that alone he's a very interesting um, character person but I'm wondering what your thoughts of him just as a general person what do you have thought about him
1: yeah, well, I think you're 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 right on with what you um, you know your analysis. Like, it's interesting that his his connection with his mother and with his half Jewishness really brought his. That's I think what um, kind of brought brought him to his senses in the in in the end. But my also my take on his particular situation is that you know he was from the way he described it, kind of brought in as to be a strong arm. You know, oh, fine, he's tough, you know, he'll go in and bash some heads in. And, you know, he was not respected for his intellect, and he talked about how he would not be included in some discussions that would be probably considered over his head, and they'd bring him in when they needed some dirty work done. So I do think in that case he was uh, a little bit on the outside of trying to keep up with the. Uh, intellectual discussion reading books and trying to really um, self-educate. But that impulse was also taken advantage of by by certain people. And, And like you said, it still doesn't excuse him, but it sort of shows that even within the movement he was kind of an outsider
0: yeah and, and and he would be and and what went on with him was somewhat typical with a lot of people. There was leaders, and there was the others and the The thing that was so disturbing about this movement, a lot of it is so many of these people with very strong ideals a lot of their ideals were founded upon a revulsion of their parents' participation in as Nazis and in the Holocaust, and they were specifically trying to expose what they felt was the fascist Nazis that were still in power, yet ultimately so many of them went down the same path where effectively they were – doing the same things their parents were, which were attacking Jews simply for being Jews. And it seems, I don't know, just as a kind of a lefty myself, it just seems kind of sad that that was their starting ideal and the end result being meet the new boss, same as yeah. the old boss.
1: Well, you know, we mentioned that in Klein, of course, Klein's uh, father was very abusive. He called his dad a monster and a Nazi and, you know, he was a policeman and he was uh, racist in many ways and Fine I think uh, joined the movement in part because he didn't want to be his dad and for the sake of his mom. So it's like he became uh, you know, he he, he um launched this, this journey for his mom and became his dad, you know? And then had to come yeah. back. I mean I guess it does get very uh um very uh sort of um dramatic in a Greek way, but there's um I think tracing it back to you know parental relationships in his case certainly
0: seems very valid yeah now t- tell me about um how the h- how you came to incorporate um puppet theater into the movie it it i I, I love that and it's so and it but it seems so when i was reading about it I'm going wait there's going to be puppets in this and <laughs> what, but when it but it just played out, and honestly, it was really beautifully acted by the puppeteers, and it played out really well, but it was it seemed like such an odd choice.
1: yeah, well, it was kind of uh, born out of necessity and um, thank you for the you know, we had this fantastic uh, group of puppeteers and a uh, puppet artist Janie geyser, who uh, I worked with on the, uh, the the whole concept of the puppets. This it kind of came late in the game. I was trying to figure out, partially because we have, um, you know, we've got these different elements. We have um, the Euripidean tragedy that we're trying to sort of bring to bring to life and play. So also we have the fact that you know we don't have a lot of um, archival footage related to our our four characters. So I was researching how the plays the, of Euripides were originally staged, and you know one of the things that they would do in these large in theaters, uh, open theaters, they would have the actors wear these giant fixed masks. And there's some theory that it would help with the projection of of, uh, the voices of the actors, but also it was something that helped, um, uh, you know, identify identify who the characters were, but also there's something about a mask that allows you to project some of your own experience on this fixed face. All those things came into play, and and so I. uh, was working with Janie about it. <clears throat> and so the idea was to have these puppets kind of work in this nether world of our our, our um, connective of fighting the connective tissue between the stories for men and the tragedies. Yeah. So we have our um, kind of spooky, beautiful carved rod puppets that um excerpts from the plays, but also uh, they reenact some of the Pivotal moment from our men's lives, and I think it gives it kind of a connected quality, but also maybe a timeless quality. And of course, we have some fun with that too, where you know these puppets dressed in these traditional big costumes are you know watching the kung fu series on TV.
0: Exactly, so. it was true. <laughs> it was awesome. So okay, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was so much
1: fun. I tell you, puppets are the way to go. They're,
0: they're, I was str- I was thinking, twist. okay, there's this, and there's um, there's a uh, Team America World Police, and I'm thinking of any other great puppet movie out there. I think that's it. Those are the two, the great ones. Um, oh, there's a thing with some of our puppeteers worked on that, too. So. Um, so what What else? What are you working on right now? Are you have any other documentaries you're working on? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just
1: starting work on a documentary about water. And, uh, you know, nice big subject there. <laughs> and uh, might be working on a project with... Um, uh, they might have a puppet element to it that is going to be partially shot in Africa. So, um, wow. you know, I'm excited about both those projects, and uh, we're just, you know, getting them off the ground. So,
0: cool. Well, I wanted to thank you for talking with me, and also for making that uh, amazing movie. It was, it was both. A great movie, even if I didn't care about left wing German terrorism, but since I do care deeply about it, it's great for that reason as well. I mean it's a really terrific movie. I appreciate you spending some time with me.
1: Oh, no problem, Richard. Thank you so much. And we did visit your website several times when we were researching. So okay. we were very happy to know this existence.
0: It oh good. Well, I'm glad I could help. Thanks again, Jessica, and I appreciate you you talking with me. Okay, no
1: problem. Take
0: care, okay. Richard. Bye bye.
1: Parma